Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers here today. We have, um, we're studying in the Gospel of John, and we are into John chapter 13. My title is Love Like Jesus. I'm not going to make this application too often, but it really strikes me that this passage is, describes motherhood <laughs> to a great degree, how mothers uh, serve so wonderfully and faithfully their, their children and love them very strongly, loyally, and through the difficult times. This is the great passage uh, on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you... You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash ex except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, 
but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, in your kindness and grace, give us ears to hear what you're saying to each and every one of us here today. Thank you for this example of Jesus. Help us to understand what he's doing. He, he even says in this text, do you understand what I have done to you? And Lord, be the teacher to teach us what we are to learn from this. And thank you for this opportunity to spend some time in your precious word and to learn what Jesus did and what he said. We always pray in the name of Jesus as we have sung our worship songs to you. We mean it. He's our righteous Savior. He's the great I am, holy, holy, holy. He's our amazing righteousness who died for our sins, and we come boldly to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So, John's the only one who records this. It's one of those wonderful, unique stories that John wants to include, John the author. And a little bit of the background. They lived in a dusty culture, as you know, and most often they wore open-toed shoes, so dusty, dirty feet were a very common thing. And yesterday I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, yeah, but our feet get pretty stinky inside of shoes every day, don't they? And all God's people said, <laughs> well, there's some people with, uh, you know, perfect feet, no problem, but no, uh, yeah, everybody's feet, they get dirty. But in that culture, feet washing was something uh, that the hostess would do, um, but they would provide for it in this way. Most often, a Jew would not do it. You'd have a non-Jewish slave wash everyone's feet. You certainly wouldn't ex would not expect the guest of honor, the one you're calling Lord and teacher, to humble himself in this way. This was truly shocking. And notice how the text makes it very clear that he took off his outer garment. I like this uh, brass sculpture of it because it, it shows us his bare back. I mean, this was shocking. It's like, what's going on here? It's, it's uh, very un, uncomfortable to see Jesus get up from the table, take off his cloak and just be in his you know, skivvies and then find a, a, a probably kind of a large uh, towel, you know, not, not like a towel we would have, but a large towel and wrap it around his waist, get a bowl of water and start going around the table uh, and washing people's feet. I think we can, that's not speculation at all because you can get all that from Peter's reaction, right? I think the other guys who, we don't know how many of them, had their feet washed before Peter, but a few, according to the context, I think they were just stunned. Like, what? 
is this? This is so uncomfortable. This is so unusual. But it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And John, this is literary artwork. John introduces this in just a gorgeous way. Look at it again in the first few verses. And now, before the feast of the Passover, you know, he wants us to think about that. What's that about? Well, we know we're talking about this great symbol of the lamb who was slain, the Passover lamb, and that symbol will be fulfilled in the person of Jesus, the Lamb of God. This is the Passover when he will die for our sins. Like I said, I just point to our worship songs again. We were worshiping Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb, we said. Those are words right from Scripture. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Uh, And remember John the Baptist said in the book of John, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Gorgeous. We, we, we talked about worshiping the name of, of Jesus today, right? And that's important for this text as well. But we worship the Lamb of God. This is the Passover Lamb. This is extremely important. So again, look at the literary beauty of this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew... I, by the way, I want to preach a sermon on what Jesus knew because it seems to be one of the interesting themes that John has developed in this gospel. A few times he says, I know, for example, uh, verse 50 of chapter 12, and I know, I mean, you see, if Jesus knows it, it's absolutely true. Uh, A lot of times we say, I know, uh, and we're actually not quite sure, right? Uh, But what, see, Jesus knows all. So, Again, let's, um, let me stick with what John said, because I've said it's really beautiful, and I'll quit interrupting you, John. Sorry. Now, when, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, I like to stop and say, what should be next? Next should be, he arose and glowed, and they worshipped him. He was transformed in their presence. You know, that's, that's kind of what you'd expect. But that's not what happened. That's the huge contrast here in this text, that this one humbles himself. He gets up and strips and takes a towel, ties it around his waist, pours some water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. I think that's what he means by this love of Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Of course, that's a reference to everything, the Passover, the crucifixion. But here and now, 
He's loving them by teaching them something super important because, by the way, it says his own who were in the world. They're going to stay around for a while. They've got to live with a whole lot of dirt in the road that will get on them. And how are they going to do it? But let's, let's start with this uh, introduction of John. Jesus' love will not be impeded. This kind of comes from my, that word impeded from one of my favorite, well, I should put it this way, basically the only Shakespeare sonnet that I have any, any actual recollection about. It's Sonnet 116, and I use it in weddings, like one in five weddings that I do. I, I pull this out because I think it's so beautiful. And Shakespeare says, Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love that alters when it alteration finds. Oh, no! It is an ever-fixed mark. Beautiful sonnet. That's just a part of it. And that's, that's what I, I get here. Jesus' love will not be impeded. He's, he's not going to shy away from loving his disciples, even though he has every reason in the world, any excuse possible, to not do this now. Jesus, you need some me time. <laughs> you need some time away from this responsibility of constantly teaching people. And, and uh, so the list is his hour had come. I mean, he has every reason to be self-consumed here. He's going to be betrayed. He is being betrayed. How do you feel when you realize you've been betrayed? Is that the time you want to strip off your coat bow down and wash other people's feet? Probably not, right? You and I, I can say, me especially, I would be overwhelmed. I'd be almost paralyzed with this, this thought. This is what I can only think about. It's become my whole horizon. And I'm going to meditate on how I've been betrayed. So therefore... I can't serve anyone else at this time. See, Jesus' love will not be impeded by even this betrayal. And I'm not going to go very far with this, but I just want you to look at... that. There's a theme of Judas Iscariot's betrayal in, in this paragraph that I've read. Maybe you call it two paragraphs. Isn't there? He keeps coming back to it, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on. But honestly, this just touches me as I read it. The, the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. There's powerful spiritual warfare here. There's reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ has powerful, powerful opposition. The, the devil is active, wanting to get rid of Jesus, wanting to get rid of the message. It, it's all in vain. He can't stop the message. And of course, the amazing, wonderful... Um, irony is that the devil thinks that he's going to stop Jesus by getting him crucified. <laughs> but that is exactly the whole plan of God to save our souls from our sins. But So the devil is there. He'd already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. And this is what hits me. Simon's son. You know, hey, this was, he was a regular guy. And the disciples, honestly, at this point, 
They don't know that he's going to betray him. Only Jesus knows this. Uh, they, they, he, they liked Judas. They trusted him. He was still the treasurer. They had no suspicion uh, of anything. And he's Simon's son. Now, this isn't Simon Peter. Of course, you realize that. Simon's a fairly common name. But all I'm saying is, hey, he's not, he's not the three-headed monster that sits in the corner. He's just a regular guy that everybody liked and everybody accepted. And he, he has a, a family. I guess I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but maybe the Spirit will lead us into understanding that a little bit more. Simon's son to betray him. So he was being betrayed. He had all authority and was perfectly secure. You know, you could take this as a possible impediment. In other words, you have all authority. You really don't need to be the one to take off your garment and wash our feet. Somebody else could do that. Probably Peter would be a good guy. You know, let's humble Peter and get him to do this, right? Uh, just, just assign somebody to do it. You have all authority. Um, let, me, let me just read the text here, uh, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and I'm reading that as all authority. Jesus will say that, remember, in the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. He's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. A phenomenal beauty in this, isn't there? The Father had given all things into his hand, but, but here is this security note. I, I think that this is not an impediment. It's actually the basis of how he can do this. He knows who he is. Humbling himself and doing what no one else wants to do doesn't diminish him, right? We look at this in awe. We worship him for being so willing to, yes, die for our sins and, and take the wrath of God for eternity, but as we'll, we'll open this up in a minute, we understand that this, this, is, this is more mundane here. This is talking about, you know, hey, it was frustrating when you did this and it, I was confused and offended by it. Uh, it's, it's the dirt on the feet. In other words, he's kind of taken care of the smaller stuff here. It's all sin, but uh, uh, as I said, you can see that in the context. But there's security in this, isn't there? <clears throat> uh, and I think there's a good teaching point for us here as believers, we need to know who we are, and we need to base our security not in what God calls us to do, but in what he has called us to be. We are his children. We are his sons and daughters in Christ. We're saved. We, we are loved by him to the end. And, and Jesus says, it says here, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, completely secure. He's ready to serve. He, he's ready to do the, this really, really awkward, difficult thing that most of the time we say, come on, let's just get a slave to do that because it's embarrassing. He's ready to do it. And... Uh, in other words, I say he takes active love. Nothing will impede Jesus' love. That's the kind of love we should have. 
And I put it this way, and I just put this picture back uh, because I, I kind of like the reality here of the humility. This is willful humility of Jesus. He's willing to overcome any impediment, any hindrance, any obstacle to obey and to teach and to do what he's supposed to do. Love's lay, love, Jesus' love lays aside the outer garment. And I'm kind of taking that in, in a literal way. This literally happened, but it's also a symbolic assertion. You know, he's ready to do what it takes. He's willing to put himself out there in an embarrassing situation uh, because this task is so important. And what is this task? It is we all need daily washing. The, the whole bath is assumed, right? Let's look at this interaction again. He pours the water. He's coming along, washing the feet. And then verse 6, he came to Simon Peter and said, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. You know, Peter in his great exuberance says, well, okay, you're never going to wash my feet. I just, I can't stand this humiliation of you, Jesus. But Jesus says, listen, no. Uh, he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, you know, wash everything. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've already been bathed. Now he's thinking literally, but it's obviously a metaphor for the cleansing of Jesus. Jesus has already cleansed this believer. His sins are washed away. It says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you. There's that betrayal theme and Judas Iscariot coming back in. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now we, we sang a song about this this morning too, didn't we? We said that the blood of Jesus cleanses us. It washes us. Uh, let's look at a great passage that teaches that. First John, now after John wrote the longer book, he wrote some very short letters. There's three of them in the Bible. They're after, uh, we call these the uh, Catholic epistles, small c. Uh, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, small c. <laughs> uh, I'm a part of it. Uh, that means the Holy Universal Church. Uh, uh, that's the word Catholic means universal, and these are the Catholic epistles, again, small c, meaning they're written to uh, the whole church. And John wrote some of these, and 1 John um, chapter 1, I want to read verses 5 through 10. I don't know if you noticed this, but last Sunday we had communion, and right during communion, this, this verse just, just came to my mind, and I've been thinking about it all week, the beauty of this little passage from John. First John, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See, they had this problem in the first century that there were a lot of people saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but they weren't following Jesus. They weren't repenting of their sins. They were continuing to do whatever they wanted to do, disobeying God, but they wanted to be a part of the community of Christians. They went, you know, maybe they were trying to fool their mom or something like that. So he's, he's alarmed about this, John is. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means if we live our lives in obedience to God as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the beauty of the gospel right here. This word cleanses is a present tense verb, ongoing action. Jesus' blood is washing you all the time while you are his follower, while you are walking with him. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's talking to people who are walking in the light but are admitting they have sin, they have dirt on their feet, Still, if we say we have sin, we de- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, uh, I, just a pause here on this linguistically. Confess is a Latin root, um, which means to literally to say the same thing. Uh, to say with someone. And it's a nice translation of the Greek word homo legeo, homo legeo, you could say to anglicize it to some extent. Legeo, of course, means to speak, and homo means the same. So confess literally means to say the same thing about our sin that God is saying about it. And what does God say about it? God says that it is sin, it deserves death, and God's not looking for us to make excuses for our sin, is he? That's not, about, that's not confession. Confession isn't coming and saying, uh, the devil made me do it, <laughs> or um, you understand that there were certain mitigating circumstances and that's why I did this thing. No, confession is saying, it was, I was wrong. I rebelled against you. Therefore, I need to be forgiven. I don't, I don't want to be given a prescription of, of a medication. I, I want to be forgiven of my sin. That's what confession means. If, if we confess, see, there's a big if there. If you make excuses for it or, or you deny it, it doesn't sound like you'll be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. He uses the same word there, present tense, Verb, he is cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Look back up at verse 7 at the very end. From all sin. This is the beauty of the gospel. We, We come confessing our sins. Lord, I need you. I need to be forgiven. Totally. I'm I'm dependent. I'm a rebel. I need to be washed. 
And, and what can, you know, what can take away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, there's something good about having those hymns sort of imprint, imprinted in your brain. Now, only Jesus can take away our sins. There's a freedom in this, you see, a great freedom. Because it, the Bible never says, would you please work harder so that you can earn your salvation? It says, not by works. <laughs> We're going to be in heaven, and no one in heaven will say, worship me because I earned my way here. They'll say, worship Jesus because he paid it all. And literally, his blood cleanses me. It's ongoing. He has cleansed me. He is cleansing me from all sin. So that's the underground here, the background, I should say. The whole bath is assumed. These people, by faith, have been cleansed. Now, Judas hasn't been. Why is that? Because he hasn't confessed his sin. He hasn't truly come to God in faith. He's been a faker, hiding it, a, a hypocrite, not really coming clean before God. But we all need daily washing. Washing off the daily dirt is a must for a true disciple. I wish we could all get this. This is so important. Look what this text says, right, in the interaction with Peter. Peter says, no, 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 you don't need to do this. Okay, 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 do it then. Give me a whole bath, you know. And then Jesus says, no, 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 you've been cleansed. All your sins are taken care of. If you die now, you are forgiven. But you're here in this world and in this ongoing setting, you will get dirty feet. You need constant cleansing. Daily dirt. Is a, and it's a must for a true disciple. See, if, if you are a true disciple, you will be into this. You will be, it's not, not saying that it's easy, but you will eagerly receive the admonition and love of the followers of Jesus, knowing that you need to hear this. You need to be washed daily of the dirt that gets on your feet. See, that's all in this context. He says, you are clean, but you need to have your feet washed. See verse 10. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So the true disciple is ready, desirous, and needy for this washing. It's like, I know I'm a sinner. I probably have really messed up here. You can see my sin. You can see the dirt. You can reach it, too, which I can't necessarily reach. So this is the point of this text, isn't it? We ought to wash one another's feet. Just notice the spin on this. He doesn't say that those with dirty feet should come to somebody and say, could you please wash my feet? Does he? The, the Action is on the other side. The action is on the people who notice the dirty feet and come to wash these dirty feet. Let's look at what Jesus said here. When he had washed their feet and put on his, this is verse 12, on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought. See, there's an obligation here. Don't think this is some sort of optional thing. Like occasionally, once in a while, in a believer's life, another believer is going to come and say, you know, it seems to me that I come humbly to you, but it seems like your feet are dirty. It seems like your, your attitude's wrong there, or it seems like what you said was wrong, or, or you, you, you hurt me when you said that. What does Matthew 18 say? If your brother sins against you, go to him one-on-one and say, you know, I think you did something wrong there. How often do we need this? Like twice in your lifetime, maybe? <laughs> Every 15 years, perhaps. Every 30,000 miles. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, the, it's daily. How often do your feet get dirty? All the time. Uh, this is a description of the fellowship of the believers that is very active. Love is an active thing. Um, love doesn't say, I think you did something wrong or that person did something wrong, so what I'm going to do is meditate on that and feel really torn up about it for a very long time, then eventually start gossiping about that person for what they did wrong. I mean, do you find that in this text? <laughs> no, all right, it's absurd. No, he's saying, you guys are going to need to do this. You're going to have to do this. It's not optional. It's an obligation. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So here's some thoughts about that. We ought to wash one another's feet. Do we think we are too good or important to obey this? Now, I asked that question based on this text, and I'm going to get to that, but I think it's fair to say, well, yeah, but there could be other reasons not to obey this text. Um, maybe I would say, well, I don't really know that person very well, or we don't have a close enough relationship, or I'll let somebody else do it. You know, you could come up with, a, with <laughs> you know, there must be 50 ways to leave your lover, right? <laughs> Slip out the back, Jack, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Sorry, bad reference to old pop music. But there really are. But that's not the, the issue that Jesus focuses in on here. And when we get to verse 16, if you've been following me along, you know that this is a heightened emphasis in the teaching of Jesus. Truly, truly, he says, Amen, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you ignore them. And you build a whole culture around ignoring this basic command of Jesus. Then the church will be blessed. <laughs> well, yeah, right, right. No, no, and no. It doesn't say that. It says the way to be blessed is to obey, even when it means you're taking off your outer garment and it's really awkward and it's really dangerous but I'm going to do it. Uh, and, and the issue he gets to here is, uh, I put it this way, you know, I, I don't put it that way, but truly, truly, 
Get this, get this. You not, you're not better than me, Jesus says. You really think you're better than me? <laughs> you know, no, you are not. Uh, if, if I'm willing to do this, then you guys remember this. Remember this. You remember this day that I did this. Now, he, by the way, I'm not, I don't wanna, I'm not throwing rocks or stones or boulders or anything, but he, he, Jesus isn't intending to make some sort of you know, ritual thing here. It's okay to have a ritual. Some churches have a foot-washing ritual. Fine and dandy, but honestly, that's not what he's talking about. That's like almost the worst thing you can do with this, right? Is he's talking about dirty feet here. He's talking about the fact that you, you and I are so imperfect. And I, I had a, a lunch with a guy this week, and he, he said he, he was quoting... Um, a great American preacher. I can't remember the name. <laughs> but he said, God leaves us here on earth for two reasons. One is our personal sanctification, meaning we are here to overcome our sins, to grow and to grow and to grow, which is constantly to repent, to confess, to grow, to change. We're going to need a lot of foot washing. That's why we're in this world still. The other reason is, is for us to proclaim the gospel, the good news to other people. That's why we're here. And so Jesus says, you'll be blessed if you do these things. Truly, truly, don't think you're too good for this or too important. You need to do this. We will be blessed if we obey. Obedience in this area is a mark of a true believer. I'm not overstating this, but look how this is tied in with Judas. He says, verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I don't think this is just sort of an arbitrary diversion in the midst of this context. I think he's saying uh, the fakers won't do this. They'll say, no, I'm willing to come to church. I'm willing to act like I'm singing a song or two. But when it comes to real Christian life, and having somebody suggest I need to grow and coming to somebody and suggesting they need to grow, count me out. Uh, I have, I have, I've been the pastor at uh, 31 years, just beginning. <laughs> and uh, some of the things are like blazoned into my memory. And at one time, a long time ago, this, I've been here 18 years, so this goes back about... 17 and a half years, the, the elders, myself included, we were trying to bring proper biblical church discipline into the life of a young man who was an adult, but a young adult. And the, it, the whole thing exploded in our face, and the, the father of the young man and the mother of the young man, who had been a part of our church for a long time before I was here, they, they left, you know, they stormed into the office and said, we resign, blah, 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 blah. And then, then out the door, and, and the father's parting words to me was, I don't believe that Matthew 18 stuff. Literally, he said that. I can, uh, well, you know, 
So you're a Christian, and you're telling me you don't believe in the teaching of Jesus. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm dumbfounded. And here I think this kind of came back to me as I was thinking through this. He's saying, now I, I, I don't expect the fakers to comply. Those people who are not true believers, they will draw the line here. No, I'm not going to deal with my sin. And I'm not going to deal with your sin. I just want a little cultural country club experience. And I want to feel good about being a member of the First Baptist Church. And I don't want to obey Jesus. And I say, God forbid, you know. God forbid for me and for you. Wrong idea. We're in the camp of Judas Iscariot at that point. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. And he used that earlier, saying, he's not talking about eternal election here. He's talking about, I chose 12, and I purposely chose Judas, whom I just washed his feet. I'm not sure if whom is the right word there, but you can figure that out later. I just washed his feet, by the way. Um, but I know whom I've chosen, and I know he's going to betray me. But look, uh, here's verse 18. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Fakers will not participate in this. Betrayal is necessary. Uh, it, it, in this betrayal, it's, it has to happen to fulfill the scripture. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Betrayal is necessary on this earth. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father of his child, the, the, the father his child, and children will rise against parents. This is a you know, happy Mother's Day verse, right? <laughs> Sorry. No, this is not a happy verse. This is very sad. The children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. This is Matthew 10, 21 and 22. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So this betrayal is necessary, but the, the, I, I, I'm not calling names here. I'm calling him a faker, this hypocrite, Judas, he will not participate, and Jesus isn't even expecting him to get this. He says, I am not speaking of all of you. And then finally on this, Jesus displays his divinity by this prediction. Uh, and this is one of those themes of John that's really awesome. Verse 19, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, he's talking about the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, see, it's inevitable, it's must, necessary, by the sovereign will of God, there's no possibility of Judas chaining his mind. When it does take place, you may believe that I am. And the he is provided in the English, and I'm not sure quite why, because the Greek is, I am, ego am me. A little uh, break in the, in the flow here, real quick. Did you know that today is an anniversary of the 
conquering of Fort Ticonderoga in northern New York, not far from Canada, eh? And there was a guy, he's not a furniture salesman, but his name is Ethan Allen, okay? Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys, and guess who with him? Benedict Arnold, a couple years before the nastiness in his life. And uh, they surprised this small British garrison holding this big, beautiful fort. I don't know if you've ever been there, but go there if you can. We've been there. And I don't know how it all came down, but let's just pretend. He Ethan Allen knocks on the door, <laughs> and the guy comes out with a lamp, and literally the words that Ethan Allen says, in the name of the great Jehovah, <laughs> and in the Continental Congress, <laughs> you know, give me the fort or something like that. Why do I say that? Well, this is today in American history, for one thing. <laughs> Secondly, Jehovah is um, a, a variation of the more properly pronounced Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. And it is actually based, this word Yahweh, based on the verb um, something like yeah, yeah uh, which means uh, to be. It's the very nature of God. He exists. And everything else is derived and dependent upon him. He's the creator. Everything else is creation. This is the big metaphysical divide in all of reality. And, and when Jesus says, I am, he is literally pushing over right next to saying, I am Yahweh. I am God. I am the one who is self-existing. And remember what Moses heard from God in, what is it, Exodus 3, where uh, he says, hey, hey God, who, who should I say sent me? He, I am that I am. Tell him, I am. Yahweh has sent you. And so when Jesus says, when you see this prediction come true, you will believe that I am. And he says this several times in the book of John. And, and like I said, I'm going to preach a sermon maybe on the I knows and the I ams, uh, or maybe a whole series eventually here. Why is this important? I mean, get this. This is so important. Because the betrayal of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. It's, it's not some sort of freakish accident. It's in, in God's perfect plan and timing. And it is so unjust, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's actually evil. Yes, it is. But it's fully in the sovereign will of God. And we read this psalm today and it's talking about the human situation. But a couple of times, look at it. It says here in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. He says, I, this helped me when I was afflicted. Uh, in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Now, that has a 
transfer over to Jesus. He's afflicted, and it was good for him to be afflicted. It was unfair, and sometimes our afflictions will be unfair, but it's not a freakish, horrible accident outside of the will of God. It is God's special will, and we need to hang in there with him and learn this. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So all of that is beautifully portrayed in this text. And my final point then is Jesus' love extends to those he sends. My outline is Jesus' love is not impeded by anything. Jesus' love lays aside the outer garment. And then Jesus' love extends to those he sends. Look how he closes this text. He says, verse 20, truly, truly, there we are again with the bold letters, truly, 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 we must receive the one Jesus sends. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So there's a little syllogistic logic here. If, if Jesus sends someone to us and we receive him, we've received Jesus. And by receiving Jesus, we've received God the Father. If, if someone comes to us in the name of Jesus and says, dear brother, I think your feet are dirty. Let me help you wash them. Just between you and me, I think we've got an issue here. And you say, ah, no. You're, re you're rejecting Jesus, and you're rejecting God. I mean, it's not a light thing here, is it? He, he ramps it up to uh, the highest level. You receive God when you receive his messenger. Now, yes, use discernment. These are my final points. Hang in here with attention, please. <laughs> use discernment, meaning not anybody who comes to you and says, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus, uh, you know, I saw you uh, kill that guy or something. You know, you, you, you don't have to just take everything they say. Use some discernment. Uh, test it. Test the spirits. Uh, test everything, uh, Paul the Apostle says. But in the testing, make sure you're not rejecting God himself. Be careful not to reject God. Let's pray. Oh, Father... Thank you for this opportunity to study this beautiful uh, washing of the feet in great humility, O oh Lord. It's, it's a, it goes against our natural bent and our, and our uh, culture of privacy and even uh, the, our culture of being so busy that we don't take time to get to know each other. We don't spend time uh, in smaller groups. Uh, Lord, help us to establish a culture that more resembles uh, what you want us to, to live by, and that we could learn to wash one another's feet. Thank you so much that so many times this does happen in close relationships. Uh, that, and help us to listen in humility. It takes humble to wash the feet. It takes humility to wash the feet, and it takes humility to hear, to have our feet washed as well, Lord. So please give us humility and help us not to reject you just because something is uncomfortable or awkward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.